welcome to Garage Night. Uh, I am Randall. I'm Jeff. I'm Andy. And this is a car show or something close to it. We do what we can. Um, so we're going to start this week uh, with uh, some news. Uh, we are starting a YouTube channel. So for you know the literally dozens of you out there who listen, uh, you can now watch in your free time because uh, you apparently didn't get enough of us. Uh, we're going to start in a few weeks. Uh, we're getting content together. If there's something you'd like to see, let us know. But um, yeah, we'll uh, let more news out as it uh, as it comes available. But keep your eye out for that. And uh, keep your eye out for initial quality in expensive vehicles. Uh, we're speaking specifically of the new Corvette C8 and the Tesla Model Y. They are both debuting with some uh, small issues that are, you know, coming from automakers that we expect a little bit better from. Uh, you know, Chevrolet has been around for, you know, well over 100 years making cars. And, uh, you know, Tesla is, you know, they, they, don't, they can't afford to have... Uh, big mistakes and you know all their vehicle launches have been fraught with small problems but they can't they can't really afford to to have that so what's the what's the kind of lowdown on uh these defects so starting with the corvette um so the corvette has an issue with if uncertain chassis numbers it's not indicative to all of them but certain ones have a screw kind of in behind the the fender that if you open the door to the maximum that you can open the door, this little screw is protruding too far and it's chipping the uh, leading edge of the door. So if you can imagine as you open the door fully um, and it it fully swings open to its limits, uh, that screw then makes contact with like a visible surface of the door. Is that exactly what happens? Yep, you can see it. Yeah, it's it's right on the edge of the door, and it chips off to the outside of the, um, you know, the outside surface of the of the car. It's pretty noticeable. Yeah, I wouldn't be super. I mean, with all the CAD modeling and stuff, you should be able to check for interferences like that. That's that should be no big deal. You would think, and it's interesting that it's not indicative to every car because certain cars, they if you go through and read all the posts and everything, there's a. Uh, Facebook post going around about it. Um, certain chassis numbers have a smaller screw in them, and it's not necessarily um, set to like a, a later production number or an earlier production number. They're kind of random, so it's interesting. It's like who knows? You know, like somewhere like a bag of screws got mixed in wrong on the line or something. You know, it's not something that's so far been like trackable to certain you know certain chassis numbers for any particular reason is it like both doors or is it just one door that's that's kind of what i would think the uh you know your theory which i agree with of it being you know they pour in all these boxes of screws together so you can just grab them and one box is a quarter of an inch longer um you know if it's just one side of some cars both sides of the others that would lend some credence to that you know, the, the random grabbing of screws being the problem. These cars should be going through a, a final quality audit, though. So right. that should be on their inspection list of things before it leaves the factory. 
when opening and closing doors seems like it should be top of the list. Just you open you the would, door and you, when you open it. Right. Yeah. You would, you would think, but obviously you know, they're probably, you know, they're going through to mass producing these things. They're probably not opening everything, you know, to the fullest extent, you know, ex- you know, the doors all the way open, all the way closed, you know, like, Oh yep, yeah, it opens, closes. It doesn't squeak good enough for government work kind of a thing, you know, like, you know, get them rolling because the, the longer, um, you know, the longer time they have, the more defects, the more recalls they have, the less money that makes they're already, if I remember right, they're already, you know, at a loss per car, you know, offering them at a 60,000 MSRP. So the more time and money that they take to fix things, the less money they even make, you know, it's more costing them even more. So mm-hmm. um, you, you would think that there'd be a little more quality control in there, which is what surprises me. But um, you know, I, I kind of seen a similar thing the other week when um, we had our, one of our service trucks at Toyota um, for its, you know, scheduled 30, 35,000 mile maintenance on it. And I took it in knowing it was due for that, all the services and the oil change. And I knew it had a, um, the left front blinker light was out and been out for a couple of days. I'm like, well, okay, kill two birds with one stone. It's going to be a service. They'll fix that, you know, and then I don't have to go out there and do it myself. It's going in for service. So I, you know, we dropped it off. I knew that was a problem with it. Not a big deal. It's a bulb, you know, I could fix it myself, but it was going in for service. Needless to say, got the truck back the next day. They passed it on the inspection sheet and they still, it, the bulb was basically still out. They didn't even look at it. They, they, they clearly either didn't test everything like I said they did or um, just passed it being, yeah, not my problem, you know. Nice. I've had the exact same are anymore. You know, it's, it's just get them in, get them out, you know. That's super frustrating. And it, it sounded like Tesla is also having some issues of their own with their paint, right? The uh, dirt in the paint and, and random scratches. Yeah, there's, yeah, there's all sorts of issues with the new Model Y. And, it, and it's this isn't um, for anybody who's followed Tesla stuff too, um, you know, paint issues um, on the new cars. It's not just indicative to the Model Y, but this one um, – this article that I had watched. This is pretty long. Intensive. The Model Three, when it came out, had uh, problems with the sunroofs. The glass uh, solar panels on the roofs were cracking, like almost mm. immediately. And they've got problems with um, uh, cameras fogging up. You know, which are you know important for some of its uh, autopilot features and stuff. So I mean, they are a small automaker, but they, you know. They want to be at the cutting edge. They can't afford to have mistakes like that. I mean, yeah. they're kind right. of in the same position and in the limelight like a, like a Ferrari would be. If you got a Ferrari and either of these things happened, that there was dirt in the paint or there was a screw that would, you know, scrape up the door panel, people would be livid. Right. And right. these are not at the same price point as that, but they're kind of under the same scrutiny where Ferrari is hand-built uh, GM has so many checks and balances. They've been doing it for so long. And, you know, Tesla wants to play with the big boys. They have to produce big boy results. Neither of these guys can really afford these kinds of mistakes. Yeah. Uh, it was kind of interesting. Uh, a few months ago, I was watching um, on Engineering Explained on, on YouTube. He had, he had bought a Model 3 and um, he 
was kind of disappointed with the fit and finish of it. You know, all of the door gaps were different. And he had a Subaru that I, I don't know if it was his or if he was using it for a video at the time. But he went around and measured all the door gaps on his Tesla and the uh, fender gaps and, and all that and compared it with the Subaru. And the Subaru is relatively consistent around two and a half, two point six, two point eight millimeters. And the Tesla was anywhere from, you know, one to five and a half millimeter gap. You know, you're talking like 90s GM gaps in their panels for a car that you're spending, you know, 40 grand on new. Um, you know, you expect a little more from, especially from a high-end company like Tesla. Um, I, and I think that's just growing pains, right? They're trying to pump out cars at a, at a you know, uh, high volumes um, to meet the demand. And they're not, you know, historically haven't been a, a manufacturing company. So some of this stuff they're learning how to do as they go. Right. Yeah. They're, they're not on that scale yet. And they're, they're trying to be, I mean, they're stepping up and I've, I've seen um, things about, you know, they're trying to make it right with customers and whatnot, but there's definitely yeah, a lot for that too. And, and I, I, you know, along the same lines with Tesla, um, I had watched a video last week about an owner of a early, early model um, who was, he was modifying the back seats for some reason, some reason or another. Um, but he took the seats out and the floor pan was completely rusted. And we're talking like a couple years old Tesla, completely rusted. Really? Yeah. Like they didn't use any rust prohibitive material or anything. I, I don't know what the deal is around it. I only remember the, just the basics of it, but that was kind of surprising for a car that was only a couple of years old, that the whole you know seat pan underneath the, the back seats was already rusted out. So obviously wow. there's, there's still looming quality control issues. You know, years later, yeah, even rust can form in seconds. It's, you know, and how quickly that can happen in, you know, a couple of years, you think nowadays that, well, rust takes 40, 50 years to, to get rust. And it really, you know, it's, it's not a, not the fact. I mean, my Rangers got rust on it and just got, just got repainted a, a few years ago. You know, it can, can happen if it's not properly prepped or it's not properly sealed and, uh, you know, with mass manufacturing, uh, like we mentioned, you kind of try to cut corners where you can because saving a little time or a little money on each car can end up making a huge difference. So maybe they thought, you know what, this is already sealed up because of where the seats are and then the other side's covered from this. And, you know, the engineers could have decided, you know what, this is completely sealed from the elements, it's fine. But they didn't, you know, consider you know, water vapor getting through the seats over time, or, you know, there's something else that they just didn't consider that's, you know, real world versus what they guessed would happen. And, you know, it just flash rusts and, you know, that could be a widespread issue that they have to take care of. Right. Right. And you gotta, you gotta consider corrosive environments too. anything near, you know, saltwater environment is going to be a super corrosive environment as well. Yeah, I think that's one of those things that, you know, uh, there's something to be said about lots of time in uh, the automotive industry and lots of time doing, um, you know, just building cars. You know, there's certain things that these companies know and learn to look for, you know, early on. And, and fortunately, you know, Ford, Chevy, um, you know, Dodge, all of those companies have had, you know, 
years to figure this out and years to to look through some of that stuff. So when rust was more of an issue and, and the technology was more limited back in the 40s, 50s and 60s, they were doing those things that that companies now it's more trivial. You know, they were sealing things that they, you know, didn't know to seal before and, and you know, kind of learning as they went that rust is a severe issue. You know, like, for example, on my Chevy, you know, they're really prone to rusting out in the rocker panel area. Um, and it was because they didn't have uh, adequate, uh, I wouldn't say ventilation, but drainage. So they would hold water and get mud and, and, and debris up in there and they could never, can never come out. So, uh, in the years after my car, they changed that design, but you know, um, companies like Tesla haven't really had a lot of time to iterate on that. And so the level of quality that you would expect from a car nowadays is I don't expect it to ever rust. I don't expect that to ever be a problem. You know, I want it to be reliable and everything's going to fit perfect. And it's going to look like it's going to be an appliance. It's, I mean, it's an appliance. You want everything to function exactly as it's intended. And, you know, you expect it to be kind of perfect. Um, and Tesla being a new company is, is kind of learning how to make that happen. And, and unfortunately some of the earlier cars and, and still we're seeing it in their new cars today, they're still learning some of that stuff and going through some of those, those uh, growing pains. So, I mean, so I, my question would be, who's who is this a bigger of these two stories? Who's getting a bigger black eye from this? Is it, you know, Tesla that, you know, everyone's holding to a super high standard on everything? Um, or is it Chevrolet that they've been doing this long enough? They should have figured this out. But they have so many models that they're launching all the time across the globe that, you know, something's going to slip through. Like, who do you think gets a, a worst black eye out of these stories? I I still think Tesla, and I, and I only say that because I see they kind of are at that high end of the of the car market. Like, they're what they're like they're the expensive car. You know, even though it's their entry level cars that are having the issues, it's still it's like an expensive car. It's a car that you're going to go drop a lot of money. I mean, I'm not saying the vet isn't, but like there's been what two instances of the vet at least documented where this has been an issue. Whereas Tesla has been fighting this for at least two years now where they've had fit and finish and paint quality issues on their cars. And granted they've been taking care of their customers, but it's not something when you spend that kind of money that you want to deal with, I guess. That's my thought. Andy, what do you think? No, I'd agree. I mean, the Tesla's trying to be the big boy. They're trying to get into the market, you know, be a bigger manufacturer and, you're talking about the Corvette and it's only had a couple issues and the Corvette is a very limited production, you know, and you know, like I said, there's only been a couple documented cases. It's not a big a deal on the Corvette. They're going to, they're, they're going to take care of for the customers. Same as Tesla has been doing it. The, the irony in the whole bit though, is that um, the Corvette back in the day, one of the early, I can't remember exactly which year, but, uh, I think it was one of the C1s. They had a, the same issue um, on an early, early car um, of a screw protruding too far and doing damage to a door. So that's kind of a interesting bit that, you know, over the years, they still, they've, the same issues come back to kind of, you know, nip at them again, which is, you know, a little ironic. It's a little funny to me, I guess, but, um, you know, Tesla's got the, you know, everybody's got their eye on Tesla, you know, right now they're the, they're the big manufacturer. They're the ones, you know, their, their name's out there every day. They're the one making waves, you know, through everything right now, Tesla's going to get the bigger black eye for it for sure. Leading the charge in technology yeah. and, and design and 
development of cars, yeah. So moving on to our, our next uh, topic, uh, I found an article on Motor One. Uh, they listed uh, a set of vehicles that you can get for uh, under ten grand that have at least three hundred horsepower. Uh, it's an eclectic group; some more interesting than others. Um, they start with the BMW 550i from twenty ten. Uh, you can get these under ten grand. They're around you know eight or nine. You can find quite a few of them, um, and they got three hundred and sixty horsepower. Uh, out of that uh, V8 in this E60 model, um, for nine grand, get them a little less than a hundred thousand miles. Uh, you can get them with a manual trans, but they're not super common. Uh, you know, you got the same worries that you know I'm dealing with. You know, the typical things that that's that's why it's a soft market car, is because you know if something goes wrong and you can't fix it yourself. The labor costs are extraordinarily high um but you know for for the price you know if you could afford to have a few grand still in your pocket for um you know repairs you know if we're going to kind of compare and contrast some of these vehicles at this price point with you know some real speed to them what do you guys think of this it says you know it's a executive saloon it's kind of the you know, 10 year older, your 10 year newer version of, uh, what I'm driving around. Yeah, that's a, that's a pretty good deal. I mean, I, it's hard to, it's, it's always hard to compare when I, when I think of what you got your car for, but, um, you know, yeah, that, no, that's a good, that's a good way to go. I think, um, you know, another car that would be a pretty good car that you can get for that price point is probably like the G35 and, and 350Z. Um, or, or I guess, the yeah, those are both on this list. Um, they list the G37 coupe. Uh, these are all like 2010, 2011, uh, models. And they also list the 370Z coupe. Yeah. Those are both right in there, uh, in the same kind of, kind of house. Like the 370Z is going to compete more with some of the other stuff on the list being um, the uh, uh, like the Genesis GT, the Genesis Coupe, mm-hmm. the Mustang GT, and the Camaro. You know, all of the same kind of early tens age. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the G thirty seven is a is a good good comparison. So to kind of put some of these together, uh, the G thirty seven is also a, a wonderful, you know luxury and, uh, sedan. Yeah. Very, uh, kind of a good all-rounded, you know, vehicle, right? Yeah. And you can get, you know, 330 horsepower, uh, V6 out of it. You know, it's not a 360 horsepower V8, but it's going to be a little bit easier on, um, on gas, like which the difference between 18 and 20 matters. Um, and you know it's a good looking car the G37 they specifically mentioned the coupe but i think that's kind of just a a more grown up 370z and i'm sure you can get the G37 sedan uh with the V6 for around the same price um mm-hmm. so that would be you know that'd be an interesting uh interesting way of going uh you know compare that against the 
the Genesis Coupe versus the G37 Coupe or the uh, G37 sedan against the, the BMWs and, and, and such. I always love those uh, the sound of those Nissan motors, the VQ series. They just have such a great... The VQ's a uh, really good engine. Yeah, they sound yeah. so good yeah. to me. Just the, They rev really smooth. Yeah, and they've got this, this unique exhaust note, you know, really really interesting sounding i think they, they i really dig them another they they list of course the uh the tw- like the 2010 specifically uh mustang gt you can get for a heck of a deal because it was after the facelift from the uh what's known internally as the s197s uh, it's after they had done the, the the kind of facelift and updated it, and it looks nice. It's got kind of the tinted taillights. Um, you can get them with the HID headlights. But the problem with 2010 as a specific year is that years. was <laughs> it was still the 4.6 liter V8 that you can get in a 2001 uh, F150. Like it's still only 315 horsepower. Whereas, you know, another thing they list is the first uh, year of the Chevy Camaro in in 2010. That's got that massive 6.2 liter V8. And that's over 400 horsepower. And that's really not a, you know, a comparison. Sure, you can see out of the Mustang and you can't see out of a Camaro. But <laughs> like 100 horsepower, even I'm going to choose the 2010 Camaro SS over the 4.6 liter Mustang, it's just really not uh, a, a, you know, a comparison. I don't know. I'd have to go the other way on it. I mean, really, I, I, really? you would give up? Yes, because, that much horsepower. Yes, because here's my here's my logic. Ready? You can get a decently cheap Pro Charger or you know uh, Whipple kit for that GT and make four fifty all day long and go spanking the Camaros for relatively cheap. Yeah, but you're getting. It's a better car. You're gonna need supporting mods on it too, though. Yeah, but you can get the you can get Pro Charger kits as a complete kit for you know probably about twenty five hundred twenty eight hundred bucks with you know with everything. Yeah, I mean, if you got the right the right deal, but you know, you're still working with a mod motor that was designed super long ago. But I suppose the six point two liter V eight isn't exactly a spring chicken. Yeah. I mean the, the the styling and the like you said the ability to see out of the car is a better you know it's more of a sell point than just pure horsepower out of that Camaro because that Camaro if I remember right is pretty heavy too. Yes, yes, certainly uh, they were heavy heavy cars when they came out. Uh, Jeff, you have to get off the fence and tell us which which one of us is right and which one is wrong. Um, I wouldn't take either of them. <laughs> Uh, I call that you, from a mile away. Yeah, let me <laughs> let me tell you, I I like the looks of the Mustang more, but the Camaro, if you're looking for the performance, is going to give you what you're after. So, it's mm-hmm. it's a trade off, you know. And and the Mustang that year was still solid axles, so you know you're going to always have that inhibiting you the entire way. Um, you know, uh, I'd say save on your money, wait wait three more years and get a 2015 when they're cheap. You know. So here, here's, here's an interesting tidbit. No, comparing the two, okay? So the Camaro 
is advertised zero to 60, 4.8 seconds, right? With all that 426 horsepower. The Mustang, the 2010 Mustang, does zero to 60 in 4.9 seconds with 100 and change horsepower less. That, that must be the, the live axle giving it a better launch, right? I would assume. And a little bit of the, you know, probably 300 pound difference. Yeah, yeah, you know, weight is going to definitely factor into it too. I mean, speak, speaking of weight, uh, two of the other cars they list are the early 10 uh, Charger RT and Chrysler 300C. Heavy. Those are those are big, heavy, square cars with a big, mm-hmm. chunky V8. <clears throat> the interiors on a lot of these are not great, but specifically these early 10 uh, Chrysler products, the interiors yeah. are horrendous. They are I mean, on even, par with my 05 Ranger. Like, they are really bad. Even Chrysler products to this day, whether it's Chrysler, Dodge, Ram, SRT, I'm so impressed with any of it to this day. I mean, 2010 was even worse, but they do feel like they're well, just that, like a half step is... behind uh, everyone yeah. else in terms of quality and fit and finish. But a 2010 is just atrocious. Like again, not calling anyone out. So if you have one, we're not, you know, we're not trying to be rude. Just yes, in our are. opinion, interiors on them are, are <laughs> not great quality. Like creature you gotta, you gotta are lacking for thing. sure. Yeah. So uh, very, very utilitarian type. Just looks like a big Dodge Avenger, like the headlights, <laughs> especially man. So Shelly's um, parents, they just um, bought a uh, uh, 2000, I, I'm guessing a 20. I didn't ask what year it was, but it looks like a 2020 um, Ford Explorer. I can say, you know, for the money, like, uh, it, it's a really nice little car for everything you get. You know, you get a lot of, you know, um, you get like the little nice little navigation and you get the, uh, like they really re they reshaped kind of their, their center console dash and everything. So it's a lot more minimalist and, and they've got a really nice gauge layout with still some analog gauges and stuff. I don't know. I, I, I think that they've improved that like Ford's really come a long ways. But like you say, though, Chrysler just has kind of been falling kind of behind the behind the uh, eight ball, I guess, so to speak, on, on, on their products. Yeah, I think they've they've improved, but they I'm still not sure they're keeping up with the interior quality. Um, no, definitely there's not. There's a lot of boring stuff on this list, but the only other thing, and uh, this is probably just a personal thing, um, they do list the um, Jaguar XF. I knew you were going to bring that up. I knew you couldn't leave that one alone. I'm looking at these myself, to be quite honest. Like these, um, they they mentioned the 4.2, but don't don't bother with the 4.2. You wait another year or two. Uh, much like the 2010 Mustang, 2010 is kind of the year of should have waited a bit. Uh, they release after this uh, the five five liter V8 uh, that they use in the. Um, Land Rovers and and and, uh, and things like that, and it's a much better engine, um, and it's just a little bit newer, and you can get that supercharged, and um, it's you know this is four hundred and seventy, and it breaks over five hundred if you wait for the five liter, and I mean a five series size you know executive sedan, but it's 
British cough owned by Ford and then Tata British. Um, they're hugely nice cars. I really like the first gen XF because the presentation, when you get in that car, um, are you guys familiar with the car at all? Nope. I'm not. So this is a car. It's got pomp and circumstance. It's very British. When you get in the car, it, uh, senses the key. You go to turn it on, you press the on button and to your right, the gear selector is a rotational knob. It's like a puck. Um, and it rises out of the dash as the car turns on. And at the same time, all of your dash vents are all covered up and they flip. Uh, they do like a front flip, you know, 180 degrees and expose the vents. Oh, that's um, cool. And, you know, so it, you know, as, as you get in the car, it like welcomes you in, you know, the screens come on, the, the dash lights up and the, the needles move and the, you know, and it, and it presents your dash vents all across and it presents your shifter like, welcome, sir. Here's your shifter. You may now select drive. And <laughs> I am a, I'm a sucker for that. It also, the glove box on it doesn't have a latch. It has a little touch sensor, like pre, this is pre haptic touch, but it just senses when you touch it and it slowly lowers the glove box open. So it's a very interesting and neat car. It's big, it's comfortable. I think it still looks good in the right color, like to this day. Um, I think it's aging really well, um, but that's probably just me. But it, it's, it seems like a really fun place to be. And when you can get it for under 10 grand with over 500 horsepower, that just seems like something you have to at least try. That might be my favorite thing on this list. I mean, it also lists the CLS 550, which is, you know, kind of a, a similar thing. The uh, S60 T6, the Volvo. Um, Those are you know, cool. I can't, can't rightly recommend. You don't like them? It's, I want to like them, but everything I've read about them is they're neat, but they don't drive well. Like, they don't feel spirited. They feel soft. But, you know, it's 300 horsepower on, you know, from an inline six. Um, but I want to say this is a front wheel drive car. I can't remember. So I know some of them, they were always. And it's drive, kind of, right? it's like a upper Volkswagen where they're kind of, they're not a luxury car. They're not a BMW or a Mercedes, but they're not a mainstream car. They're kind of really nice mainstream sort of a thing. I, I like the Volvo. We consider it an XC60 uh, versus our uh, X5, but we ended up with the with the BMW. But I like Volvos, but you know, all the reviews I read at the time is it just didn't really have the spark, which is kind of, for a, a car person, it's kind of your main thing. Right. Yeah, agreed. Do you, have any, you guys have any other thoughts about, you know, do you have any arguments of, well, here's another 300 horsepower car that you can get for under 10 grand that, you know, cause these are all specifically from a, from a generation. Like, you know, if I were to give you 
10 grand and say to go get something over 300 horsepower, you know, would you kind of play off of this list or do you have something in mind that you would prefer for that, uh, that those rules? I know, I know Jeff doesn't drive anything with over 150, but. I know another one, if you're going a little bit older, um, you can, you know, 9901 Cobras are now under 10 grand and you get 320 out of the box. There you go. And that's a, that's a fun car. You know, we, we would know we've, we've had, you know, Fox body and, and new edge Mustangs that that's a good, that's a good car. It's, you know, it's not as comfortable as those other vehicles, but it's got a little bit more spirit to it. Like I would love an 01 Cobra that's still on my list. That's the only one I can think of off the top of my head. I'm sure there is, you know, a number of other ones that we're not thinking of. Somebody screaming at their computer right now saying, it's this, it's this. But there's, I'm sure there's more. So, um, yeah, short of that, um, we'll probably move on to, you know, what we've been doing uh, over the last uh, week or so. Um, again, with, you know, with, uh, you know, the towns that we both live in now, all three of us are, I believe, all on shelter in protocol. So, you know, not a lot of moving around. Um, most of what I've done has been literally just cleaning the garage, trying to organize a little bit more, you know, stacking things a little bit smarter, but, you know, without the ability to kind of go out and procure stuff, um, kind of been, kind of been a, a slow week automotively for, for me. I've, I've mostly just cleaned and organized the garage, uh, worked on the dirt bikes a little bit more. Um, and you know, cruise Craigslist for things I don't need to buy. Oh, I've been doing a lot of that. Yeah, what about you, Andy? What have you been uh, up to over the last week or so? The well, needs to say the house is spotless for once. <laughs> Probably for the first time since we've been here. Nice work, dude. <laughs> um, I got the garage tidied up a bit. Um, should be a video coming out soon. I did a little uh, walkthrough for everybody of my garage set up here. So look for that on the YouTube channel soon. Um, other than that, I really, like I said, haven't done a whole lot. Um, I took the focus out for a little spirited drive this morning out here. Um, not the, the, the back roads out here. Mexico, right? Out in Mexico. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. South, uh, Southwest Mexico. Mm. Um, yeah. You know, we'll, open range out here so took it out for a little little spirited jaunt and it's pretty fun but other than that uh, I haven't done much I was planning to get the Cobra up and running this weekend but weather wasn't the best and I didn't feel like taking it out in the rain just to have to come back and detail it so we'll try it again next weekend <laughs> yeah you sound like my dad with his Porsche <laughs> well it, it's not it might it's get not, wet never been in the rain that's it, <laughs> it used to be my daily driver but I'm at the point yeah. where I don't want to detail everything right now because it's still fairly you know fairly fairly well preserved as it is right now your pinky better be out while you're drinking that pbr there 
Oh, uh, from sure. from the from the guy mm-hmm. who would stop our cruises so that he could <laughs> clean the bugs off of the bumper. Yeah. <laughs> hey, that's a that's a former Jeff. Okay, that's a Jeff that used to care former too Jeff. much. <laughs> that was Jeff. That was, I believe, sponsored by Black Magic. Yeah, sponsored. Oh, don't even bring that up. We don't need to talk about that. Um, anyway, uh, let's move. That's too long of a conversation for this show. It might be. <laughs> um, so I will uh, discuss what I did, which is not a ton. Um, let's see. I uh, Today, I in my um, boredom or my need to do something with this um, stay indoors order, uh, I went out and there's been something that's been bothering me since I'd done it. And I wish I'd hadn't done it when I wired the Chevy, I wired my alternator power wire. So, uh, uh, I wired this whole car up, like just kind of as a novice, you know, I went through, I wanted to wire it make it look clean and as, 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 and simple and everything. But when I had done it, I didn't put, um, connectors in places where I should have put connectors thinking about, service down the road and so um wanted to uh, i've been wanting to make this more serviceable so you know on these old cars it's really easy to pull the entire front clip off and you can access the engine you can do whatever you want and um so i'm thinking you know down the road at some point i'd like to be able to pull that off without having to like rewire everything so i ordered a connector a couple like uh connectors uh from american auto wire that'll let you basically they're like a um like an eight, eight or 10 pin connector that you can just disconnect all of the front accessory wires um, is kind of what I'm intending to use it for anyway. But uh, one of the wires that I had ran, um, if you uh, look at the front of my car, it's got like a, um, it's got these inner fenders and on the inner fenders, there's a little grommet that I have routed with wiring through. And then it's got a little tubular um uh, radiator support that the wires then pass through the tubular radiator support and go down the opposite side of the front, uh, of the passenger side fender. Um, so it kind of does this little, like little U shape where the wires can run along and not clutter the engine bay or, or on the firewall side. And, and I always liked the way that looked, but as I was, uh, thinking more about it, and it's one of those things that just kind of eats at you every time you drive, you're like, ah, it's just not, not quite right. And I had this alternator wire that was a power wire to the alternator that runs to the primary fuse going to the battery. Um, I had that run uh, up and through that little junction going through up by the radiator. And I I was thinking, you know, if I ever needed to pull that front clip off, I'd have to like disconnect it from the alternator. And I really don't want to do that. That doesn't sound fun. And so I was like, what, how can I better run that? So I was like, I'll just run it up along the backside of the firewall. That sounds like simple and I never have to worry about it. It could stay connected forever as far as I care, you know, and then, then all I have to do is unplug um, the front accessory, like the lights and the signals and stuff. And I could pull the whole front clip off. And so I spent today unwiring all of my harness that I had wrapped with harness tape and then um, run that up and, and around and then reconnected it. And then I reran my grounds to all my lights and stuff and, and kind of made it a little more, accessible for for down the road and so when i ordered parts today on summit i was like yeah let's let's do some other stuff too and like i ordered a fuel pump that is indexable so it's got indexable inlets and outlets so it 
it bolts in the stock location. It's a little bit narrower than the stock pump, which is good because I need that um, with the way that the fuel pump fits on my on my engine. Um, but it's indexable, so you can change where the inlets and outlets are, which is really nice. Um, mine currently doesn't have that, so it's kind of wonky the way my lines are all routed. So anyway, just planning on doing some cleaning uh, cleaning up of things. And, and I made a little YouTube video showing my um, suspension on the uh, Chevy. Um, I had some people ask about it on YouTube, so I threw that up there. And um, I will upload that to our YouTube channel as well for uh, Garage Night, so you guys can check that out. Um, yeah, that's about it for me, I think. And drank some beer and did some working out, and that's about it. So it sounds like you adopted my ways finally. Well, while we're here, let's do this and this. Yeah, but my cars all still work, though. Mine still work. <laughs> yeah, no. Both I of mine, I can. I'll go. I'll go fire up the Mustang right now. It'll probably blow out the speakers in my laptop, but I'll fire it up. <laughs> you should actually. That'd be a pretty good little clip. Let's hear our car exhaust. I don't. I don't feel like. I don't feel like chancing death. Being my daughter just went to bed. Yeah, that's probably Ooh, not a good idea, no, sir. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know better. No, I, I another day. I'm becoming I'm becoming you, but I think I think I enough time has passed now that since the car has like mechanically been completed, that I'm like I can start dinking around with like little things to make it nicer. You know, um, it's one of those things that I heard on Roadkill that Freiberger says he's like his philosophy is don't get it, don't make it perfect, just get it get it driving, and then it gives you the motivation to keep working on it and keep tinkering with it. And I think enough time has passed. I wish I would have like, heard that 12, 12 years ago. Yeah, I wish you would have too. <laughs> that was like when, when not to bring this up, but when you had your, your was it a 78 or CB500 or CB750? Yeah, well, which, which one? Yeah, 78 uh, CB750K8, yes. Yeah, so when you had that and it was a complete bike except for like a brake drum and a headlight or something. And, and you're like, I'm going to take it all down. And I remember I, I was like, do you need to like, does it need to be that? You know, like, Oh no, I'll just, I'll just take it down and just clean it all up. And you know, you just get new fresh paint on there and redo all the grounds. And I'm like, yeah, but like, it's so close to driving. Couldn't you just, he's like, Oh yeah, but the engine's probably stuck and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, all right. What, what happened? <laughs> Yep, I was I was in the wrong with that. That ended up getting disassembled, and uh, eventually I found uh, a person to uh, take it off my hands. And uh, I think it eventually found yet another owner that did put it back together. And so I choose to believe that it's on the road now. But yeah, don't don't bite off more than you can chew. You know, I started with a with an old truck, and that was too much. So I downgraded to a street bike. That was too much downgrade created to a dirt bike and that finally is done and i actually ride that um well i went through several uh motorcycles before i got one that i put back together so you know maybe i should have started with like a model car yeah 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 don't 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 bite off more than you can chew um nope. unless you've got very deep pockets it's funny though like you mentioned that and i went out Friday, I think it was. I went out to the garage, had my dirt bike in the garage, and I'm like, I'm gonna rewire this thing. I pull everything off, and I'm looking at it. I'm like, ah, the wiring's not that bad. It's got a couple bad grounds, so I like 
clean up the grounds and there's some connectors that were kind of janky and I fixed the connectors. I'm like, I'm not rewiring this thing. This thing's fine. And I just put it all back together and it runs great and lights don't flicker and it doesn't turn off when I set it on its side anymore. I'm like, good enough. You know what I mean? Like, like I wasn't, I really, well, yeah, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Yeah. Yeah. That is another very important lesson that I have a few friends that do not understand that. Like if it's working and driving and doing what it should, just like, don't mess with it. Like you can, you can clean stuff up, but don't like, don't like replace your brake pads if they don't need to be replaced or like, you know, like when the, when the caliper starts leaking, then you can upgrade your Brembo's. You know what I mean? Like that kind of stuff, like, or else you're just going to blow through all your money. And <laughs> I don't know. Throw that's... away perfectly good parts. Yes. And you know, that's, that's what I intend to do with the five series is this one. I'm actually going to listen to advice and follow it. And, you know, don't bite off more than I can chew. Like, you know, if I'm going to do something, I don't have to do everything. Well, while I'm in here, I'll also replace this and that. But then it'll take, you know, two weekends instead of one. Like, I can't step away from this car without it running at the, like, I can't dig in farther than I can put back together on the same day. Because as long as I do that, which I've kept that with my dirt bikes and they've stayed functional because if i let it sit it never it never uh, works out well so yep just yeah. kind of psa don't bite off more than you can chew uh work your way up into projects um jeff spent you know over a decade having other people help him work on his cars before he started a big project pretty much yeah yeah i i, I uh i was i never really fully dove into it um as much as i had it on my own you know like it's one of those things you just gotta be in the right frame of mind and you have the right thing that you're working on that is speaks to you like when i when i got into my chevy i was like i never intended this thing to be like i need to get this on the road it was like i'm learning i'm gonna like figure this stuff out as i go and you know hindsight i wish i would have taken a little more time and done things a little bit better but you know i was just at the same time, I'm happy I just did it because if you just do it and you figure it out and then you learn something and then you can do it different the next time, like you don't learn that if you, if you just think about it all the time, like it's, it's something that, uh, one of my buddies at work called analysis paralysis, like, and so he was kind of saying that you get into this analysis paralysis where you think about a problem for longer than you actually spend solving the problem or just doing it. And, you know, like I was, uh, I was saying, you know, to you guys earlier that, you know, I, when I was first getting ready to build this car back when, you know, I was doing, I don't even know what I was doing. I was cleaning up metal and getting rodents out of it and pulling the body off the frame. I was thinking, and I was researching, um, about different subframes and different, um, uh, different like clips and front clips, like a graph to the frame and everything just to see what would fit and what, you know, looking at all these different, op- I spent months doing it. I was looking at, you know, Nissan 300 ZXs. I was looking at Mazda Miatas. I was looking at Honda Elements and Ford Rangers and all of these different front suspensions that would work and fit underneath this car. And in all that time, I could have actually just been out just finding one, picking a lane and going and doing it. You know, I spent four, four months just wasted doing that. I mean, it was good. It was a good thing I did. And I got the, I, I got the understanding of, of different suspension components and geometries and things that were important. But, 
you know, in the end, I was like, you know, hey, look, this Mustang 2 front end it fits. It may not be ideal. Let's try it out for a while. It's something I could bolt in and, you know, maybe later on I can improve on it, right? Just get it running. It's something, um, you know, David Freiberger says on Roadkill a lot. He's like, don't make it perfect. Just make it work, you know, just make it run, just make it drive and enjoy it. And then you can build off of that, you know, and uh, <clears throat> one of the things I was saying, and, and I think that is I recommend this for a lot of people. Um, when you're looking at these projects, um, they can seem really daunting, you know, regardless of what kind of project it is. Um, you know, uh, I was just talking to my dad the other day um, and we were looking at the Bronco and, and it's going in for paint. And, and he's like, oh, dude, you should start, you know, get the headliner guy going on the headliner and get this going and get this going. I'm like, wait, 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 wait. One thing at a time. Let's break this into smaller segments that are easier to digest. You know, even something as simple as a repaint and and doing the interior still is really daunting when you think of all of the eccentricities of doing that. And I, I told my dad, I said, you know, looking at the Chevy when I got it, it was a complete basket case. I had to do everything from wiring to frame modifications to rust repair. Like I had I had everything in front of me. And, and every time I would think about all of the stuff that I had to do, I would freeze up. I would just be like, I, I, there's no way I can do this. But if, when I broke it up into single little, uh, pieces that I could, that I could tackle that day or that week, I could focus on something small and make progress. Then suddenly you'd start seeing progress over time, right? Like if it, you know, a, a, you don't solve a puzzle, you know, uh, as an entire thing, you, you do it one piece at a time, right? So if you break your projects up into something that's small and easy to digest and easy to achieve, you can actually make good progress towards that end result of, you know, getting your car running and driving. And before you know it, it's done. Um, and I think that's the biggest failing a lot of people have is they think of, of these projects, they just get so overwhelmed by everything that they're never going to get there. They're never going to achieve it. But if you carve out a couple hours every day or every week or whatever, just, you know, just spend that time doing one little thing. Like, like, you know, if you're going to re repair a little bit of rust in your floor, that's been bugging you for a while and you've been dreading about it, just take that time, pull the carpet back, you know, whatever it is, take that time. Just, just focus on that rust repair for, for one day or two days or a weekend or whatever it is. And, and, weld it, grind it, paint it, and then be like, hey, look, that's a done. That is one thing on this entire big project of things to do. That's one small thing I have done. Now I can move on. To I would have had a lot more thing. success in my projects if I would have followed some advice like that. <laughs> well, I think a lot of people would. I think that it's one of those things. And I, 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 I'm, I'm guilty of it myself. You know, you think of... You, I mean, you saw my car when I got it. You guys both did. Like, it was a complete nightmare. And, you know, uh, most people and even myself looking back were like, yeah, God, that's way too much work. But if you break it into smaller chunks, it becomes a lot less work, you know, just in your mind. And that's the biggest key is is simplifying it in your mind because you guys can, you can do anything you want. You can you put your mind to it. You can do anything you want. But it's just how you break it up so that you can actually realize that you can achieve it. You know what I mean? Like, not to be this motivational guy over here, but I'm just saying, like, it 
I'm not, I'm not a genius and I'm not some ma- master fabricator. I learned every, everything I did every step of the way and just breaking it up into small pieces. Like to me, one of the biggest challenges was getting a welder. Like I was like, man, I have to weld all this sheet metal on. How am I going to do it? And I was like, what am I doing? I'm going to go hop on Craigslist. I'm going to buy a welder. And I did. And then that welder sucked. And so I said, you know what? I've already spent this much on this car. I'm just going to go buy a new welder and then have a buddy help me wire this into the house. And like, let's get going on this thing, you know, like, you know, just that kind of stuff. Like just have the attitude of, of you can do it. Just take it one step at a time, you know, and I'll, I'll get off my high horse here for a minute, but um, it's, it's fun and you learn stuff and you can learn what not to do and you can you can make it better next time and you can pass that advice along to your friends who are trying to do the same thing and you know like you were saying randy like i was the guy that always was asking for help on my cars because i didn't know what i was doing and i didn't feel safe working on my cars like like five lug conversion on my mustang was really daunting and now it's like the most trivial thing i could think of doing you know to a car it's like it's so easy just to you know bang that out in a in a weekend you know i helped uh, alex do it you know like it wasn't a big thing for us, you know, it was a project, sure, but it wasn't daunting by any means. It was a pretty easy slam dunk thing. Um, and you know, that's that's how experience works. You have to actually do it. And then you'll, you know, like you said, something that is a big deal becomes trivial. I mean, anyone who's ever worked a job, you know, your first day on the job is super stressful, but the longer you get into it, the more everything becomes second nature and then someone else comes in and it's new to them and you watch them struggle and panic at the easiest thing. You're like, you just, just do it and you'll be fine. But you forget how hard it is to get into it. But like you said, just pick a project that you think you can do, you know, don't let your eyes be too big for your stomach and just focus on one thing at a time. You know, don't, don't do what I did. Don't say, well, I'm just going to start from scratch don't do that because you made, you know, I, I turned many possible projects into impossible projects mm-hmm. by not just, I should just fix one thing. And then when that's fixed, move to the next little thing. I don't have to start yeah. from scratch. You know, yeah. my, a lot of my projects, I could have spent three weekends and they would have been on the road and going. Instead, the only way that I knew to do it was a year and a half project. And, you know, if I would have followed your advice, maybe I'd have a few more uh, fun toys. I'll, I'll digress for half a minute. I think the hardest part I think I found on my car that I did, I remember this now, uh, was when I was doing the rust repair and I was like, okay, I got to cut this rust out, but I need to leave something intact so that I have some frame of reference, right? So like you're going to cut, I, I was going to start on the rocker panel. I was like, I don't want to start on the quarter panel because that has to go to the rocker panel, but the rocker panel has holes. So I don't want to weld to that. But then the back of the quarter panel has holes. I'm like, I can't weld to that because that's not structural. And every every piece that I wanted to weld to didn't have any structure left. So I had no good place to start. So I was just like, eh, I don't know. I guess I'm just going to pick one and we'll start there and go around the car, I guess. It was kind of one of those things. But um, but yeah, that's, I, I don't know where I was going with that. I just was thinking of like, going through that methodical process of like, how do I start? Where do I start? You know, when you have this, like you were saying, like you're, you're starting from a clean slate with nothing, right? You're, you, you strip. And that, that's hard. You yeah. think it's easier if you go back down to zero, but like you said, you have no frame of reference. So yes. like that's where Andy's done it right. He's yeah. always done 
iterative stuff. And even on his Cobra, he had uh, a frame of reference because he had done it before piece by piece mm-hmm. on the Sixer. So he had yeah. done all of this before. So, you know, what took him years and, you know, was probably, you know, he fretted uh, night after night about doing on the Sixer. He did in a much shorter period with the Cobra. So, Andy, can you kind of give us a, you know, a, a detailed, basically a build sheet, like, you know, what you did on, <laughs> on the Cobra, like kind of give us an, an idea of that as a project. Yeah. So, I mean, the Cobra, you know, but how it is now, it's, it's great, but it's been through phases too. Um, so I, I got the car in pretty good, good condition to start with. Um, this is a lot of the good, like had a lot of good stuff already swapped into it. It was a, amazing car as it was just sitting but you know i'm not content with with that i have to you know i have to tinker with things too um so when i got the car uh the third owner but second owner never did anything to it everything how i got it was done by the original owner and it came from california um so the original 99 most of the 99 components of the car that were indicative to the 99 came out uh, we're swapped in with stuff from the 0304 uh, Terminator Cobra. Um, so the motor motor was pulled, basically put a complete 0304 drivetrain in the car. Uh, the 0304 IRS, which is the, the you know the newest version with all the revisions, everything, the best half shafts. Um, the the 0304 has the iron block with the forged crank rods, pistons, and everything, which was set up for boost. You know, because those were originally a supercharged motor from the factory. Um, so that was swapped in. The heads were swapped out for the O, I believe they're O six stamped, O five or O six stamped heads, um, which are they're a revised head even from the O three O four car. Um, they fixed some issues with those heads. Uh, one in particular is the uh, spark plug holes um, only had two to three threads in them, and they had a lot of issues with spark plugs blowing out, and you happen to um, you know, do expensive you know, welding to repair those heads when those spark plugs blow out of them. Um, these ones were revised. They have nine threads in them. And I something redesigned with airflow in them or something or other. I can't remember specifically, but um, needless to say, the heads were, were upgraded as well. Um, it didn't come with the Eaton on it. Uh, instead, the owner, the original owner, opted to put a new Procharger kit on the car um, because instead of just keeping the stock 0304 T56 six-speed that came in the 0304 car. Um, They sourced out a Viper, uh, Viper Spec T56 six-speed. That's a little bit more of a stouter unit, and it has a different um, gear setup in it, um, which is nice. So the the way it works, it's different. The different gearing in it, basically, with the Pro Charger, the way it's set up, it's phenomenal that I get. uh, It's got 410 gears in the rear end. And with the way the Pro Charger works, it hits, you know, the the 410s get it off the line. And then I get boosted about 3,000 RPM, and it pulls all the way through. But with that Viper spec, uh, T56, I get a 0.56 gear, so I can still get 26 miles a gallon cruising down the freeway at 80 miles an hour. Um, so that was kind of neat. That's kind of the baseline I had when I got the car. Uh, suspension was absolutely bone stock. So that was kind of my go-to as, okay, well, this is the first thing that needs to be really done. You know, there was some maintenance and stuff that had to be done 
initially. Um, so the, I did have a bunch of parts left over from the Sixer when it did get wrecked. Um, I started, you know, throwing at the Cobra um, body panels in specific here and there. Um, I swapped out the, the car originally was a spoiler delete option, um, which is Randy's favorite. Uh, which actually well led uh, it was very nice because I didn't have any holes to fill. Uh, I had a 0304 spoiler on my uh, Sixer, the 0304 Cobra spoiler, so I had that painted to match and basically bolted that on, which was nice. No holes to fill, no ugly fiberglass, you know, work to be done on it. Um, that worked out really nice. Um, and I had a couple of uh, uh, C pillar panels from a bullet or Mach 1, take your pick, same thing, um, kind of which changes the roof line to kind of that kind of the you know, the baseball cap kind of look where the C-pillar flows down and kind of points down towards the, you know, the belt line of the car, towards the back of the trunk. Uh, instead, these take that that line and then turn it and redirect it down towards the scoop of the car almost on the side. It gives it, um, it's a little subtle thing, you know, you probably never notice if you were a Mustang person, um, you know, that it was different from any normal V6. One of those things looks better, but you don't know it looks better until you see them side by side. And you, exactly. you, know, you think, why does that one look better? And it's, oh, it's the sail panels. It, yeah, right. it's, it's, it makes a big effect, but it's a very small change. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So yes, yeah, a little small change, but yeah, until you put it side by side with something, you don't, you probably never see it unless you really were looking for it. Um, that was pretty much, you know, most of what I did up front, um, the car had, it had a cat back exhaust on it. So it sounded decent as it was, um, when I got it and, you know, that kind of did good for years. And then, um, you know, I started <clears throat> building up parts and whatnot, um, for the suspension build on it. So like I said, the car was originally completely stock, um, you know, nothing done suspension wise. Um, so the last, the last build that I kind of project that I did, um, basically, the car was in pieces at the shop for probably oh, uh, probably the better part of a year because I ended up actually moving out of state mid-process of doing this project, which timing-wise was terrible. But, um, you know, I had been basically, you know, building up, setting parts aside for years, acquiring some stuff to – because I knew I was going to do this all at once. I didn't want to. I, you know, I had done the onesie, twosie, you know, things at the time with the V6 – um, you know, taking hours to do a simple little thing, you know, and I'd done all the research. I know which parts to buy, which parts work best with which other parts. So basically, you know, I, I acquired parts for about a year and it was, this was intended to be, you know, a, a month to two month, maybe three month project, you know, of working on it, you know, you know, here and there on the weekends. Um, so the, the shop where I was working on, it was 45 minutes from my house. So, wasn't an every night thing. Um, so long story short, basically the whole suspension, we, we gutted that, um, put a tubular front suspension in it. So tubular K member, tubular A arms, uh, coilers, new shocks, new struts, um, upgraded the sway bars. We put a uh, Roush uh, sway bar on the front to stiffen everything up a little bit more. Um, you know, redid all the bushings, all that. Um, I got rid of the sloppy, um, 
the the steering joint, the steering arm on that car in favor of uh, a solid steering shaft from Maximum Motorsports, which makes the car feel night and day difference. You don't have a lot of the slop in the steering of it. Um, that solid, solid steering shaft is some of the best money ever spent as far as, um, you know, feeling of driving a car, um, you know, next to welding and a set of subframe connectors on that car, which were already done when I had the car too. Uh, you know, it's night and day difference. Definitely would recommend it. You know, even, even for a car that you're going to, uh, you know, if you're going to drive it here and there hard here and there in a corner, it's worth every penny to get the better feel out of the car. Um, along with that, we did, we pulled the IRS out of the car as well at the same time. Um, basically we lifted the, lifted the body off of uh, basically off the drive line and basically it sat up there and we rebuilt everything, uh, new seals, and everything on the motor, um, sealed everything up, new alternator, new water pump, um, had a lot of the, um, accessories and whatnot powder coated well it was all parts uh, i powder coated the front cover the cam covers um i repainted all the intercooler piping and everything so it kind of cleans it up nicely um gives it a little bit of a showy look to it but you know not over the top um this kind of brings the the whole look of the mo when you open the hood it, it ties the car together a little bit better than how ford you know originally had kind of everything just kind of meh look at this big motor you know big motor big heads in here with a snake on the top um that took a while to get powder coating back and that's <clears throat> that held up getting the motor work done um probably about a good month and they were they told me a two to three week turnaround ended up being about a six or so a week turnaround so that held us up for a while which contributed to the time um we got all that, that button back up um and then we moved to the rear we did the irs um anybody who's familiar with the the new edge IRS knows the 99 stuff is junk, basically. Um, so the car had the 03 in it, the 03 IRS already in it, which was good. Um, so it had the best half shafts and everything, but all the the bushings and everything was were just shot. The car had a nasty kind of vibration and sway to it. Um, you know, when you take it out on the track and the back roads, it was not definitely not safe. And when we took it out, it was like, wow, I can't believe this car was even really driving. Uh, you know, everything in the in the IRS was so just overly shot. I mean, I, I think we spent probably about two grand just rebuilding the IRS, um, throwing the you know, the bushing kits in it, uh, you know, all the new joints and everything, and then having having to rebuild the whole center section as well too. Um, so basically we opened that we opened the cover up and um and spider gears and whatnot were just shot, bearings were shot in it. And you know, it was a time bomb waiting to happen. So luckily we got to it before it blew up. Um, so, you know, that added a lot of time to it too, which is, like I said, why this project ended up taking the better part of a year or so. And then even after it was done, I didn't even get to drive the car for six months until we got it out here, uh, over to Idaho. Uh, well, so you, you know, you basically had done that project once before and you got to kind of do it again. You know, if from what you learned from the first time that you built, you know, the sixer to when you built this, uh, if you had like some advice for, you know, someone who's going to start a project, um, you know, Jeff's main advice was like, you know, just get started. Don't bite off more than you can chew. Um, you know, now that you've done it a couple of times, you know, what would be your, your main advice for someone who's going to start a project car? 
I mean, what, like what Jeff said is good, you know, if, if for diving into it to not get overwhelmed, you know, pick and choose a couple of things here and there, um, you know, that you're comfortable, you know, working at, or, you know, it's, it's a challenge, you know, set that as a goal, but also, you know, before you start turning wrenches and ripping stuff apart, do your research. You know, I had 10 years with my first car, my first new edge, um, uh, 10 years of, of, you know, banging my head in against the wall for, for days, weeks, you know, um, doing projects on it, you know, time researching parts, you know, um, you know, spending money twice, you know, which is a shame, but, you know, not doing the research up front. Um, you know, I, I had learned my lessons from, from the first car, which is like I said, why I spent a lot of time, you know, just kind of biding my time gathering parts and just driving the car. Cause it was sound as it was originally, but gathering parts, knowing, you know, doing my research, um, you know, what's going to work best with, you know, other parts, what your end goal is, do your research ahead of time and, you know, figure out what you want to get out of the car and go about it that way. Um, so the key kind of sounds a lot of headache. Me, yeah. Find a, find a balance somewhere. There's a sweet spot between doing your research and analysis paralysis. And that's kind of what you have to find is what your personal sweet spot is, you know, uh, between, you know, not, not being completely neurotic about it, but also not being uh, too flippant, uh, you know, about it. Or like you said, you'll spend money twice, um, but right. eventually you just yeah. got to go for it. Yeah, eventually you got to just do it. Um, like I said, you know, I I had spent a lot of time and wasted a lot of money on the first go around, and if it, you know, which is good because it it is a learning process too. And you know, with other cars, like if I had bought your say your BMW it would be back to square one. It would be like, okay, I have known nothing about this. You know, it would be, okay, do research, you know, look into it. What's going to work well with it. What, what's my end goal with it? You know, you know, if I, if I was to say, pick up a, you know, another new edge 99 to 04 Mustang right now for a project car, I would have it torn apart in a couple of days. And, you know, I would know exactly what to do with it because I've been there. I've done it. You know, if, if I had, tried to do what I did this go around with the Cobra. The first time when I did the six, I would be nowhere. The car would be apart forever and probably in a junkyard or something. So you know? it's funny you mentioned that there's a guy that I watch on YouTube. His name's uh, was well, YouTube channels, uncle Tony's garage. And um, he says to stick with an era of car or a, uh, he, he says here in, in your case, you're sticking with one particular like, like brand and model of car. But if you stick with one ear of car, generally you get similar starters, you get similar wiring, you get similar design mm -hmm. language, stuff that you understand, stuff that you're able to predict, stuff that you're able to be familiar with, become familiar with and become knowledgeable in. Now, I think that that's a good way to start. Um, the only reason I would not recommend that is because it limits your, your, I guess, your exposure to different things. You don't get to learn as much by doing that, and you don't get to experience the interesting cars of different generations and different eras. But I think it's a great place to start because, again, like like for you with, with SN95s and, and that, like – I was kind of that way for my buddy Alex when he got his Fox body. He, I'm like, I know quite a bit about him. He could just bounce any question off me because I've done a lot of this stuff on mine already. Like he's like, what do I get for the, what do I need to get for the spindles for the five leg or what do I need to do for the alternator upgrade or blah, 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 blah. Like I was just like, Oh, I just kind of know it because I've done it. 
you know, just like right. you with your SN95, like, you know, you know, everything with the new edge, like, oh, it's, you need the sail panels off of a 99 bullet or a, a one bullet to blah, 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 you know, or whatever. So like, you kind of know that car in and out, right? So yeah, yeah exactly. I, I think I think if Randy were to watch me strip the interior of a new edge, he would cringe. <laughs> The way the, how, how crudely it kind of goes together and the way you have to pop things apart, which is kind of counterintuitive, like how you think you want to be careful with things. Yeah, you got to be aggressive or else they'll break. Yeah, that's that's funny to think of it uh, that way. Um, my, my experience, uh, for what it's worth on projects, is kind of what you guys were alluding to there at the end, which is... Um, when you start on a project, you have to acknowledge that you know nothing about what you're doing. And the most valuable thing for me was um, finding the, you know, when I bought my 01 Mustang, the bullet, I found a, a forum very quickly, which, you know, I, I couldn't have done the few things that I did alone. I wouldn't have had the confidence, uh, much less the knowledge to do these things and finding people that are willing to help you learn. That is, I think the most valuable resource is, you know, having you guys to bounce ideas off of and thoughts off of. Um, although I've done very little in actuality, the theory I have learned by being on various Mustang forums and, you know, having friends that work on cars. Um, you know, when I look back to, videos and conversations from, you know, 2013, I've learned so much since then, um, that I would, I would recommend finding a community and, you know, sometimes you might be lucky like me and find some, some actual good friends, you know, outside of just the cars. And, you know, that's a, a really neat side effect is to, you know, find a, a community and find friends inside of it. And on top of that, you know, have help getting your projects done. So um, definitely don't be afraid to get a project. Just, you know, know what you're capable of, but know you're capable of more than that if you keep at it. Um, so, you know, don't get bogged down in the details, but do proper research and just get started. Do little things and, you know, don't start with an engine rebuild. Trust me, it doesn't work. It doesn't matter how many cylinders it is. It's it's a lot. Just start with finding the bad ground, you know, replacing one wire at a time. Um, you know, don't pull the whole wiring harness out. Just replace the one wire that you think is the problem. And if it's not that, you do another one and you do another one and just take your time. You'll eventually find it. Um, and yeah, definitely uh, do a project because that's kind of half the half the hobby. Do you guys have any other kind of final thoughts on uh, automotive projects before we kind of close out for the night? Uh, I think that you hit a pretty good closing point there. Um, you know, just kind of bringing it all together, kind of all of the advice that we could give. Um, you know, I, uh, I definitely encourage you, uh, whoever you may be to get a project and, you know, there's no time like the present right now with a lot of people being out of work. And I know that, you know, obviously without income coming in, there's not a lot of opportunity to buy. But if you have a project that's been there or you think of something that you could do 
whether it be a podcast or whether it be a, you know, um, uh, if you want to knit something or you want to do a piece of art, whatever, take advantage of the time you have, but, you know, just take on those projects and stuff, uh, and, and don't be afraid to do it. Don't, don't get, uh, don't think you can't do it. Just go into it with a can do attitude and, and, you know, uh, take it one piece at a time. Yeah. I mean, I, I would echo that as well too, you know, um, you know, even if you can't afford something, you know, like somebody, you know, you've got somebody here or there, somebody's going to be working on something, you know, say, Hey, you know, can I help? Can I come watch? Can I come turn wrenches with you? You know, you know, get your hands dirty. You know, it's a, it's a good way to learn, you know, even if you're doing your own, you know, getting your hands dirty, getting in, you know, taking stuff apart, putting them back together. That's how you learn. Uh, you know, there's, there's really no better way. You know, you can, you can look at stuff in a screen until you're blue in the face or read something out of a children's manual until you're blue in the face and says, Oh, you're supposed to do this, this, this in every way. But what it doesn't tell you is that one starter bolt doesn't come out until you pull something else out first. Like uh, changing the starter on a Fox body Mustang, you get about 15 three eighths drive extensions and you go through the motor mount uh, between the motor yeah. bracket, like something that yeah. you could sit there when you're underneath the car and you're like, how the heck am I supposed to get this out? <laughs> and then you realize that, oh, there's a really easy way to do it. You just got to <laughs> just take five minutes to, to figure that out, you know? And then, and then you learn that you weld together a couple one foot extensions to make that. So next time you don't have to find all the crap again. That's true. <laughs> that would make it a lot easier. That's, I, I have a socket welded to a long extension exactly for my spark plugs because it is so deep to get into the heads of that, of that motor. Oh, yeah. I bet. Yeah. You know, it's stuff you don't just, you know, see on a screen or something in a book somewhere, you know, mm -hmm. turn turning wrenches is, is some of the most invaluable experience you can get. Yeah, totally. It's funny. I, I, uh, I have a, a friend who's still learning how to work on cars and he, um, He's like, oh, I, you know, I, I, I read the write-up. I read the tech write-up and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, it doesn't look that hard. Then he gets into it and he's like five hours into like what should be a, an hour job or whatever. And everyone was saying it was so easy. And he's like, dude, I don't know what I'm doing. You know, I'm like, okay, I'll come over. I'll help you. You know, like we'll figure this out. Like, you know, it's just one of those things. Like it may look easy online. It may look really tough. You never know until you do it. So just don't be afraid to do it, you know. No one's gonna. No one's gonna look down on you for for doing it and not being successful. Like you'll find a way to be successful on it, even if not. Even if you're not, just trying it will help teach you something. Wonderful. Uh, I think it's all great advice. Um, we're gonna close it out a little bit early tonight because we we lost a little bit of a uh, little bit of recording earlier, so it's pretty late for us over here. So. Um, we're going to kind of come to a close uh, tonight. Um, thank you again for for listening um, to Garage Night. We're part of the Tiny Dog Podcast Network, now um, branching out into YouTube. Uh, keep your keep your eyes open to that. Uh, you can still contact us at tinydogpodcastnetwork at outlook.com. Um, again, ratings and reviews are, are uh, the key to us climbing the charts and getting seen by more people. Um, and you know, if you want to just share us with someone else, if you're listening and you go, Hey, you know, I know someone else who, who likes cars, you know, uh, you know, have us, uh, give a, give a listen to us. Definitely check out, um, you know, the retro tech segments. That's a good way to onboard people to, to the brand because it's, you know, it's very digestible. 
Jeff always has uh, a lot of genuine thoughts on, um, you know, just uh, technologies from the past and, you know, uh, vehicles from the past. I always learn a lot when I listen because, you know, I listen to every episode uh, personally multiple times. Um, and our Instagram page, we uh, will keep you updated with our projects, you know, as we do them and uh, just some fun stuff that we find. I put up a, a quick timeline of my notchback Mustang that I had, uh, including the uh, pranks that were drawn on it. Um and that, of course, all washed off as easily as the paint washed off. Um, super funny, good, good times. Um, and the network has two other shows with, um, you know, a fourth in the works as we speak. Um, that I will, you know, will leak out as we figure it out. But for now, uh, there's a video game podcast that's just another side quest. That's every other Thursday. Uh, and a motocross, supercross, dirt bike podcast called Loose Spokes. That's every Friday. Um, you can see uh, pictures of all of our rides and more details about all this at tinydogpodcast.com. Um, so uh, without any further delay, uh, we are going to wish you all a good night. Stay safe. Good night, everybody. listening to the garage night podcast a special thanks for jeff tracy and annie tamlin for joining the show this week until next week keep turning wrenches